0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: We are live from the Mackinac Policy Conference at the Grand Hotel, and we're gonna kick off our conversations with a heavy dose of politics today. Senators Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow will join the program, as will Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan and Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. That is all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. today on 101.9 WDP I'm Stephen Henderson your host and as always I'm glad you have joined us as you can hear very well in the background we are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island for the Detroit Regional Chambers annual Mackinac Policy Conference now back in the end of the spring in May uh, after a two-year Uh, disruption because of COVID-19. Lots of people very excited to be back on the island together to have conversations about uh, all of the policy issues that swirl around us in Detroit and in the state of Michigan. We are going to spend the week talking to politicians, business leaders, and philanthropic leaders about what they're doing here. Why are they here for these conversations and what do they hope to take home with them? Uh, at the end of the week, uh, our first guest is somebody who's pretty familiar to us on uh, Detroit today. Uh, Gary Peters is a Democrat who represents Michigan in the United States Senate. Uh, Gary. Welcome back to Detroit today, and welcome back to Mackinac.
2: It's great to be here, Stephen, and uh, great to see you face to face. We I were know. just talking about that before the program. it has been a it, while. I think it has been years,
1: which it, is it, weird.
2: It's really bizarre <laughs> considering we've uh, our paths have crossed frequently prior to <laughs> the right. pandemic. Yes, so yes. it's great to be back.
1: Yeah, no, it's great to see you. Uh, I, I want to start with uh, with guns and gun law reform, I guess, and maybe we might call it Right. Uh, what happened in Uvalde, Texas has, I think, more people's attention and maybe in a different way than before. You have some Republicans now saying that they might entertain the idea of tighter gun regulations. Mitch McConnell uh, talked yesterday about, of course, increasing safety, uh, making things better for, for children. A package of bills could go through the House this week, uh, they would end up in the Senate. What, what is your anticipation about the possibility here? What could we get done?
2: Well, I, I hope the possibility is there. I've been hoping for a long time uh, that we could find common ground um, uh, on this issue, uh, especially after these two horrible tragedies uh, back-to-back in New York and Texas. Uh, uh, we would hope that that would be enough uh, to move forward, but we've been here before as well uh-huh. in the past, and it hasn't happened. But as you mentioned, we've got a group of uh, five Republican senators who are willing to start the discussion. That's a, a start. Uh, given uh, the rules that we have in the Senate, in order to, to move forward, we need 60 votes. And I can say our, my Democratic colleagues all want to see some positive movement forward, so we have 50 votes there. Yeah. Uh, if we have five in discussion, that gets us the 55, but the math still says we're going to need more. Uh, but I hope we can just get something done, you know, everybody has a variety of ideas and whatever gets done initially is probably not going to, you know, some, some people aren't going to be happy The folks want to go further, other people are going to be unhappy because they don't want to go at all, but that's where we try to find that consensus in the middle and common ground. And, you know, one area that I think we have hopefully the best pros, uh, prospects is with the background checks. Just 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 close some of the loopholes that we have for gun shows and for online purchases. and. And and when I have folks say, well, you know, that may not have had any impact on what happened in Buffalo, for example, and uh, that that may be true, but let's put it in perspective, gun violence in this country. Today, as you and I are speaking today, roughly 100 people are going to die of gun violence in America Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, when we wake up, another 100 people are going to die, the day after another 100 people. So whatever we can do, if we're saving some lives, let's do that, and then let's hopefully build on that success and do more in the future, but we have to take some action. We have to do things. And when I say common sense, the, just just making uh, uh, these uh, uh, loopholes go away is supported by, I think it's roughly 90% of the American yes. people. Yes. I, I don't know of any other issue that we're gonna be talking about up here that 90% <laughs> of the American people think this is a good idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also wanna make it clear to our listeners that You are a supporter of the Second Amendment and the right right to bear arms. You're not somebody who's trying to grab guns from people or prevent people from legal ownership. There's a lot of room for people to have discussion about regulation that doesn't amount to infringement on what is an important constitutional
2: right. Absolutely, Stephen. And uh, I'm glad you bring that up. I'm, I'm a gun owner. Uh, I believe in the Second Amendment. Uh, I enjoy uh, every fall. I love pheasant hunting. That's something <laughs> that I really love uh, to do. It's part of uh, Michigan tradition of uh, getting out uh, and, and hunting and enjoying uh, shooting sports. And uh, and uh, it's not about that. This is about common sense ways to, to try to limit the, the kind of violence uh, that we are seeing uh, in this uh, in this country. And that's why that's why you, you know I mentioned the ninety percent support from the public. I, I think the last uh, survey I saw of members of the NRA, I think it's close to 70% of NRA members believe that these are common sense ways to go. So this this should be a mainstream issue. This is, this is things that we should be able to pass. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I want to talk to you about postal reform, and you are maybe the only person I know who likes to talk about postal <laughs> reform and actually has done something to advance Uh, The opportunities I think for the for the post office I feel like one of the things that's always held it back is There's just kind of shackles on its operations, right? Uh, They're not able to compete with with similar services uh, because the government doesn't allow uh, The post office to you recently uh, had a bill passed a bipartisan Postal Service Reform Act Uh, talk about what that does and how it frees the post office a little bit
2: well yeah I'd, uh, we're really pleased we were able to get this done and this is this is a bill that was uh, 15 years in the making uh, mm-hmm. that no one seemed to be able to come together and when i took the chairmanship of uh, homeland security and government affairs i also oversee the postal service through that committee and chairmanship i said we're going to get this done i'm not going to sit around here and have this thing that's been lingering again common sense you talked about shackles uh, Uh, The Postal Service had a pre-fund all retirement health care, no matter how old that person was. There's no company in America that does that. There's no government agency in America that does that. Only the Postal Service, which is a huge financial burden uh, for them. And so that and a number of other reforms we were able to put through. And and I just focused on what is it that we can all agree on because everybody... If you ask anybody, they have all sorts of ideas how to make the Postal Service sure. work, work better. But not everybody agrees on all those great ideas that people have. So let's just narrow this down to what we can do and what we ended up passing. And I was able to get uh, over 23 co-sponsors over the 10 Republicans uh, mm-hmm. to, to get it through the Senate. Uh, And what this means, bottom line, this this will save the Postal Service over the next 10 years about $50 billion. That's $50 billion that they can put into faster processing centers and increase efficiency to make sure that we have a Postal Service that we all want, that we rely on to deliver critical drugs and uh, greeting cards and uh, making sure our paychecks get mailed or bills. We want a Postal Service that's healthy and vibrant for uh, as long as we possibly can into the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's part of the Constitution.
2: Absolutely. So we cannot
1: get rid of it. Absolutely. Got, we might as well make it successful, right? Right. <laughs> there was
2: a reason they put it in the Constitution, because it's part of what binds us. You know, yeah. it's the only entity that delivers to every single address in America every day.
1: Every day. Every day. Uh, I, I'm asking everybody uh, this year this, this next question, and that's, why are you here for the conference? And... Do you have some goals for the week, things that you want to get done?
2: Well, it, this, is, uh, this is a great opportunity to, to be able to see folks really across the spectrum. You, you mentioned it in your opening, from the business community, the philanthropic community, and have discussions about issues that they care about. Uh, and when you hear everybody's, uh, from all these different organizations are all here, uh, in a you can, pretty tight space, too. In, I think we're that's hard on an people to imagine. right? We cannot get away from each other. <laughs> Literally can't. But you know, we have this magnificent porch here at the Grand Hotel, and you can walk down the porch, and I can have uh, 15 different conversations with 15 different individuals of different backgrounds and organizations. I can't do that in my normal life. It's hard to schedule folks, mm-hmm. or well, Zoom calls is not the same. Mm-hmm. The kind of interaction you get here, is, there's no other place that I can have this kind of uh, opportunity to to hear. And you know, when we talk about legislation, we talk about dealing with the, the problems. I've always found that the the best ideas always come from f- people who are on the ground dealing with these issues every day. And that's who's here up here at the conference. These are folks who deal with tough issues every day, and they have great ideas. And uh, I walk around with uh, my ears wide open and try to do uh, more listening than talking. And a lot can come out of it. And, and inevitably, when I leave, there are always action ideas. Yeah,
1: yeah. The, the the talking, the conversations. I think a lot of people don't put enough premium on the ability to do that and right. the ability to do that with people who you would not see right, uh, if you were in Washington or if you were in Detroit.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: All right, Gary Peters, always great to have you on the show. Great to see you up here on Mackinac. Stephen, great Thanks to see me. you,
2: and uh, we'll talk later uh, out and about. We will. We will. Take care. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining in. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Detroit Regional Chamber's annual Mackinac Policy Conference. Uh, Today we are talking with uh, politicians an awful lot about what their uh, ideas and their agendas are up here. Joining us now is the mayor of the great city of Detroit, Mike Duggan. Mayor Duggan, welcome back to Detroit today. Good morning, Stephen. Welcome back to Mackinac. Yeah, (laughs) and we're going to be doing a session together today. That's right. You and I are going to talk about policing a little later today and the new chief, uh, his agenda. You know, the question I'm asking everybody up here this year is to talk about... um, the importance of being here and what your ideas are for the week and maybe some of the goals that you have for the week.
0: Well, you know, the relationships that you built here for me have been invaluable, but you know, today Tom Goris announces he's donating twenty million dollars yes. to build out a community center in Rouge Park. That Cody Rouge neighborhood has got the highest concentration of children that don't have a rec center. Of course, the outdoor pool is spectacular. For yes. three months a year it's crowded, <laughs> uh, but when Arn came to me and said the Pistons want to do something, for the children of Detroit. I drove him out and I said, I've got a -a three-month-a-year facility. I need a -a 12-month-a-year facility for the kids in this area. And then Tom Gorris today announces a $20 million donation. There was a time when Detroit was doing nothing but closing rec centers. Mm -hmm. Now we're opening rec centers. But these are relationships you build up over the years because you're not just in business meetings here. You're sitting on the porch, you're sitting in the lobby, you get to know people, you talk about families, uh, and that matters over time. Yeah. Um, This has been a a pretty, uh,
1: I guess, typical approach, I think, uh, in your administration, is kind of finding a problem and finding a very specific solution to it. I can think of lots of different factories or uh, other businesses that have been open uh, since, since you've been mayor that you have just kind of personally said, I, here's what I want to fix here and I got to just find the right person or entity uh, to do it. It's a really different way, I think, of, of managing development and opportunity in the city than we've seen before.
0: Well, it's interesting, and, and the chamber does this Mish Auto session Tuesday, uh-huh. the first day. Uh-huh. And uh, about five years ago, Sandy Barua convinced me to come up. I got to know the executives at Lear and the executives at Magna and a lot of these part suppliers, uh-huh. uh, Flexingate, that I did not know before. And so, When Lear has to put a 400 employee seating plant to build seats for the Chevy Silverado, I can sit down with Ray Scott and say, I've got a site here on Connor. Mm -hmm. It's just a few miles from the plant. We'll get it cleared for you and ready to go. And now Lear is building that 400 employee seating plant. A lot of those things came out of relationships I built sitting up here in a relaxed way, getting to know executives and them getting to know me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little about
1: ARPA, uh, this wonderful yeah. boon that we are experiencing with, with money. Uh, give us an update on how that's going. I mean, it's a great thing to have $850 million to spend, but it's also uh, important that it be spent properly and in a way that really affects people's lives. Uh, are, are we being successful at that
0: yet? Yeah, this is going to accelerate Detroit's recovery by 10 years. I mean, it's just it's all the things that we would have gotten to five or 10 years from now that the money is there today and so if you think about the way we approach the city budget that eight hundred million dollars will be spread over three years that's when it has to be spent So the city of Detroit has gone from a billion dollar a year budget to a billion three for the next three years Mm -hmm. you can't just have the people you've got scrambling around doing more work Mm -hmm. you have to add extra compliance people finance people HR people project managers all of that is being ramped up Uh, we've just uh, announced the first eight hundred houses that are getting roof repairs done they've just been sent notices the works going to start this year as the first phase of our thirty million dollars in home repairs for low-income seniors is being rolled out quickly Nicole Sherrard Freeman if you get her on here is just doing a remarkable job of getting job training because people want to talk about affordable housing Uh, the best solution would be Detroiters increase wealth get a better paying job uh... and build the kind of wealth uh... That can support your family and a lot of the other problems in the city get easier nicole's driving all that we have a hundred million dollars going into job training and literacy GED programs things to raise skills so detroiters uh... can earn more money so everything is about uh... making sure that the detroiters who stayed when everybody else bailed are the ones getting the benefits of this eight hundred million dollars and i think we're doing a good job at it yeah. um- I also want to
1: talk about a, a statistic that I saw recently uh, about how much money people pay to live in the city of Detroit and that uh, a, an astonishing number of people are spending half of their income uh, mostly on rent, I would imagine, not, not on owning houses. It, it just highlighted for me the, the overall challenges we still have in the real estate market in Detroit at the top end, at the bottom end, in the middle, it it still operates under pretty irrational terms for too many people. And I wonder if you can talk about, I mean, I know you're very focused on uh, very specific problems in that market, But what about that overall irrationality? It it pops its head up in many different
0: places. No question, and I'm very consumed by it. So think about this. You had neighborhoods in this city where the houses were worth $150,000, and in 2009 it crashed and they were worth 50,000 and people bailed. We have built the values back up to where they were before the crash, which if you own a house, and for uh, much of the African-American community, uh, that is a huge increase in your uh, family wealth. That's your wealth. Right, when the property values go up. The flip side is that that if you're not owning the property, it means your rents are going up and it is putting pressure on people. You don't have the situation in Detroit right now uh, that you have in San Francisco, that you have in Portland, that you have in uh, DC and others with huge numbers of homeless on the street. The biggest reason for that is that 10,000 houses that were vacant eight years ago, have been renovated and families moved in Mm -hmm. and and building Detroit.org and the land bank selling those that's kept a lot of the pressure off nobody else had 10,000 units ready to go but we are dwindling down in how many of those there are and so we're really conscious what do we do I think our next piece is this I want Detroiters to go back to to home ownership you got a lot of Detroiters in this city spending eight hundred or a thousand dollars a month in rent if they could own the That's house, pay payment. the taxes yeah. for less money, but they don't have the down payment. We're about, from American Rescue Plan funds, to roll out an $8 million down payment assistance plan so we can get longtime Detroiters who are renters, convert them to homeowners so they can benefit from the wealth increase. We're attacking this from a lot of different directions, but it's becoming a real problem. As property values go up in the city, rents go up. And it's my responsibility. I, I say this to, to my team every day. We got elected by the people who stayed, not the people who left. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we do everything we can to protect the people who stayed. Yeah.
1: Okay, Mike Duggan, mayor of the city of Detroit. Always good to have you here on Detroit today, and of course, great to see you up here on Mackinac Island. Good to see us. See you later. When we come back, we are going to welcome another of our elected representatives to the show. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow joins us next. Stay tuned for more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Mackinac Policy Conference put on by the Detroit Regional Chamber every May. It is back live and in person in May after several years of disruption because of COVID-19. Uh, we are talking today to politicians who are here on the island asking what they're up to, what their plans are for the week, and we are joined now. By the senior senator from the state of Michigan, Debbie Stabenow is also a Democrat who represents Michigan in the U.S. Senate. Debbie, welcome to Good Detroit. Good morning. Today. I was saying hear. it's so
3: great to see you in person. <laughs> I, know, I know. It's, it's like so a whole strange. new world. <laughs> it's right. this is all very odd. It's like uh, it's I know like
1: literally a reunion up here this, right. this week. Um, right. So I, I, I want to start with you the way I started with uh, your colleague uh, Gary Peters. Um, I want to talk about guns and what might be possible now that I think people's attention is on this issue in just a little bit of a different way. I think Valde has has uh, reframed the issue for some people. Some of your Republican colleagues, in fact, are talking about it differently. Yes. What do you think is is possible?
3: Well, first let me say. We don't have to live like this, number one. We don't have to live like this. No other country lives like this. Every other country has challenges. I lead on mental health in the United States Senate. Yes. There are mental health challenges in other countries, but they don't have a situation where somebody who's unstable can buy a military assault weapon and go into a school or a church or a grocery store. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. I'm very hopeful that we can at least begin the process by focusing on background checks, closing gun show loopholes where you can't go around what every law abiding gun owner does, Mm -hmm. which is go through a background check and be able to get um, these weapons. It's a start, I also think this may actually, since it's overwhelmingly supported by the public, show Republican colleagues they can actually take on the gun lobby. Because this is all about money. It's mm-hmm. about gun manufacturers wanting to sell as many guns as humanly possible with as least restrictions. So I'm hopeful this gives them some confidence uh, to go farther than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, right in our own backyard, look at, at Oxford. God bless all the young people and the, and the families and, and what they are going through. We can go, and every day, I mean, they're every day in this country 100 more people today will die because of gun violence and so we need to start somewhere what i will also say as somebody who grew up uh in Clare, legal gun ownership uh, around guns all my life and target practicing and hunting and and so on when there was a, a military assault weapon ban for 10 years no one in my family stopped hunting Nobody in my family had a No one came and took any, your guns away, right? Nobody, not, yeah. none of that. They could go on with doing what they wanted to do. And so during that time, you know what happened though? We saw a almost 40% reduction in mass shootings. And now we are seeing this going up 250, 300% uh, more every single day. Yes. Yeah. And so it's just not okay. Yeah. It's yeah. just not okay. So, so
1: uh, when I was talking with Senator Peters about this, he, he said, look, it seems like we might have some Republican votes in the Senate for some sensible gun regulation. The question is, of course, whether you can get to 60. Can you get, uh, you know, 10 Republicans to join uh, all the Democrats you know, in the Senate? You know what
3: has to happen is people across the country have to lean in and let their senators know that this is just plain common sense. I mean, we we get to 10 Republicans if they're hearing from their constituents mm-hmm. more loudly mm-hmm. than they're hearing from the gun manufacturers, and so um, that that really is it. And you know, when we look at the changes that we want for our families now and our quality of life and our safety, so much of it is really boiling down to the elections or. Uh, it, it, getting engaged in a way that is louder and more insistent than folks have done before. Because um, folks in my family uh, who in the past have been members of the NRA and are not because of the extremism of what's the positions that are being taken now. Um, but they they say to me, this is crazy. This, you know, we, we want folks to follow the rules. If I'm following the rules to get a gun license. I want everybody else to be able to do it and not go through the back door at a gun show, for instance, um, and uh, and I'm fine with putting limits. I mean, in, in what we saw, an 18-year-old yes. who can't get a handgun till he's 21 can get a military assault weapon. Look what happened in Oxford mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. with parents of buying one for a 15-year-old. I mean, this is nuts, yeah. and, and we can do something about it, and we absolutely need to.
1: I'm talking with Senator Debbie Stabenow here in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Detroit Regional Chamber's Mackinac Policy Conference, We're talking about what all the politicians and business leaders and philanthropic leaders are up to this week, but also talking about what's going on in Washington. Debbie, I want to talk a little bit about supply chain, which of course is, Everything right now, right? I think people who didn't even know what a supply chain right. what was is supply chain? <laughs> yeah. are now experts on what it is and what effect it's having on, on the economy. Are there more things that Congress could be doing to ease the the troubles in the supply chain, which would, of course, uh, ease uh, uh, the, the the rising cost of materials and inflation and all these other things? I mean, that really does seem to be the linchpin.
3: Well, first let me say saving if you go back a year, the new administration coming in, all of us, the number one thing was to save lives. And so the focus was on vaccinations COVID. and getting home tests that people could use and medicines, getting children back to school safely, all of that. But now we're seeing the ramifications of shutting down a global supply chain and too many of our raw materials, goods, made overseas i've said for years we need to bring jobs home it's about american jobs we mean jobs home and i heard over and over again well it costs less we can do it more cheaply in china or more cheaply somewhere else well fine except when you have situations like this and then you can't get the product and so we are doing a number of things and the problem is that no one thing is a silver bullet so we got to do more manufacturing in the United States we actually had 375,000 new manufacturing jobs last year but need a lot more we got to bring those chips back we're working on that very soon we'll have final legislation to make these big fabrication facilities to bring the chips back um, we also uh, have to focus on the area I work a lot in and uh, chairing the AG committee is in food supply we have four big meat packing Operations at companies in the United States, two are foreign owned. Right now, they are really uh, creating a situation where farmers aren't getting paid well and consumers are getting gouged in the grocery store. We need more competition. So last year, I was able to get uh, funding that we're now using to help fund small meat packing plants whether it's Michigan or other states regional operations let's do it locally let's have what we call redundancy or resiliency more competition Um, the same thing is true even with with baby formula there's only four big baby formula uh, companies Um, and we see this over and over again so global supply chains not enough being made in America coupled with consolidation has caused where we are. Now, it doesn't make it any easier for anybody looking at all these prices going through the roof. And I do have to also add that there are companies taking advantage of this situation. We know it. Last year, the top 25 oil and gas companies made over $250 billion in profits while while you and I and everybody else was paying through the nose at the pump, and it's only gotten worse and i can show you the numbers yeah. where
1: you've been tweeting a lot about this yes the, well a the, the barrel how of, bad the profits
3: are it's and, it's unbelievable and last time a, a barrel of oil was 110 dollars. the price at the pump was three dollars and 60 cents next time now 110 and ten it's 460. Good. what's the difference it's price gouging and so the house passed a bill to give authority to the president to be able to stop that and we need to pass it In the Senate because right now we don't control any of that I mean we they get big tax breaks I've been trying to take those away given the situation but it's all set by the oil companies government doesn't set those prices but we need to get our arms around it and say if you are doing excessive uh, uh, prices at the same time that you have excessive profits you need to pay a windfall profits tax we need to tell you you know that you have to lower the price i mean so we've got folks taking advantage of all of us right now they, they blame ukraine and certainly ukraine's a part of it a lot of things are a part of sure. it supply chain's a part of it but that's not all of it no. that is not all of it well and the cost per barrel as you point out
1: has been here before and we didn't have these prices and the
3: prices have not ever been as high as they are right now and so they're they're in in my judgment um we need to tackle this head-on because it's one of the biggest things taking money out of people's pockets right now
1: Yeah, um I I wanna give you a chance to talk as I've given everyone up here to talk about what you're doing here why come to Mackinac Island uh, for this for this conference What things do you hope to accomplish? There are a lot of people back in Detroit or other parts of Michigan who think this is a big waste of time and that uh, we're all up here sitting around drinking champagne and eating good food. Uh, But uh, tell me what the work is that brings you here each year.
3: This is a really important event. And for me, it's literally meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting because When we look at the uh, business and labor leaders and hospitals and universities and community foundations and in every kind of leadership that you can think of in this state, folks are here, they're coming together. And so it gives me a chance to hear from them about what I can do to help them meet their goals for people, Um, it allows us to talk together about what more we should be doing. I mean, a big piece of the conference is about how in the new electric vehicle space that we are bringing that to Michigan and that we're owning that, not not only making the vehicles but the batteries batteries, and the the materials, the raw materials. and so many other areas of manufacturing. So you've got everybody, people who are trying to start battery facilities are here. People who make the automobiles are here. People who are talking about lithium ion, you know, lithium materials, and how do we make those available for the batteries. Everybody is here, and so a lot of discussion goes on. Um, It's obviously a beautiful setting, but it it is an opportunity to really talk uh, in a relaxed setting with folks. About how do we move Michigan forward? How do we create jobs? How do we support job training and, and uh, schools and, mm-hmm. and, and you know healthcare and all the things that we all want?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Debbie Stabenow, again, great to see you again in person, uh, and thanks for joining us here.
3: My pleasure. Yeah. All right, take care.
1: When we come back, we are going to welcome another member of our elected official ranks to uh, the show Congresswoman Debbie Dingell will join uh, from the dining room here at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island stay tuned for more Detroit Today Right today on 101.9 wbet I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Detroit Regional Chamber's annual Mackinac Policy Conference back live at the end of May after several years of disruption because of COVID. Uh, all of the prominent politicians and business leaders and uh, philanthropic leaders from Southeast Michigan in particular are here talking about the state's and the city's problems, talking about our national problems, talking with each other in a way that they don't often get to do in other circumstances. Uh, we are talking today with the politicians, many of the politicians who are here Uh, doing their work on the island this week and joining us now is a familiar voice to Detroit Today and of course to Detroiters of uh, all stripe, uh, Debbie Dingell is a U.S. Congresswoman from the 12th District which covers much of Washtenaw County plus Dearborn and is currently running in Michigan's newly drawn 6th Congressional District. Debbie, welcome back to Mackinac and welcome back to Detroit Today.
4: Stephen, it is great to be with you and I think it's good to be in Mackinac.
1: You think it is? Uh, I, I mean, so I, I, I want to just uh, put this out there. This is your first trip back uh, since John, your husband, died, and I, I'm not sure all of our listeners know. This was a big part of your lives—the time that you guys spent up here. Uh, just talk about how you're how you're processing all of that.
4: So. I'm still, I miss him.
1: Miss yeah. him every day. I do too. And
4: the, I mean, it, he was. You know, he would sit on during this conference, on the porch in a rocking chair, and it was his office, and he talked to everybody. <laughs> he talked
1: to everybody. And he loved
4: talking to everybody. And um, you know, we've been coming here for a long time. A very long time. I was young, very <laughs> young, I started. <laughs> but it was also where we came in August. It was our escape place. So. It's different. You know, I'm not sure I'll spend the kind of time I used to spend here, because mm-hmm. it was my place with John. Yeah. But I've seen lots of friends. Uh, I'm not sure we're not at a super spreader event, so <laughs> I think I'm the only let's, one wearing let's her hope mask.
1: Not, let's hope not. There was a lot of protocols in place to make sure. Yeah, that but people, nobody's
4: keep giving space or distance. Not, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, But it's good to be here to be with people that we physically have really not been with for a couple of years. Uh, Relationships matter. Mm -hmm. People don't have them. You can't work together, make a difference, get partnerships, talk about ideas unless you know people, know you can trust them. And it's good to see that part
1: back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk quickly about guns. You did come onto the show. Last week to talk about what happened at uh, Uvalde, we've had a a week of, I think, some real, uh, at least signaling of, of possible action. There's a package of bills that is prepared to go through the House. Uh, this week or next, I believe, uh, talk about what's in those bills and uh, whether they have a chance once they get to the Senate.
4: So, the House Judiciary Committee will be meeting tomorrow. It is still not clear whether the package of bills that is going to move will be a package or individual bills. Uh, I'm going to be very blunt in a second, but among those the House will pass will be a red flag law uh, gun container, uh, you know, safe storage, raising the age for selling of assault weapons, uh, hopefully some mental health investment, a number of, uh, and it'll pass the House. Whatever comes out of the judiciary should pass the House. But what's the significant discussions is happening on the Senate side, where there are a number of Republican and Democratic senators speaking, and trying to find if there is some common ground uh people who have been strong gun advocates uh, for years are saying let's not make the perfect the enemy of the good Mm -hmm. i think there are people that are willing to give on both sides i've talked to a number of senators on both sides Uh, and i am hopeful that something may actually come from those conversations.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, The idea that we will need 10 Republicans in the Senate to join what will likely be all 50 Democrats to get this done, it's it's one of those things that comes up again and again and again with President Biden's agenda on a number of fronts. Here, it it seems unimaginable, I guess, that 10 senators could stop legislation that if you took a poll uh, tomorrow, I think 70% or more of Americans would support. These are very common sense measures that are not in debate in America. They are only in debate in the Senate. Does that make any sense?
4: I'm not going to say that it makes any sense. I found myself going back and reading the Federalist Papers and reading a lot about what our forefathers did when they founded the Constitution and um, the tyranny of the majority, the rule of minority, it's very... I do think I want to have hope right now. So one of the key negotiators is actually Senator John Cornine from Texas. He's a. am me- almost certain he's a member of the NRA. Sure. I went over with uh, Fred Upton and talked to John Cornine after the Parkland yeah. shooting when Fred and I were trying to get red flag uh, legislation. I think he is honestly trying to get something done. The people of his state are brokenhearted. I've had a lot of very intense discussions with many of my colleagues on um, uh, this subject. And I have said to some of my colleagues who are right, they're very emotional, they're very angry, don't drive people back into their corners. If we take this on, and even one of my more moderate Democratic colleagues said, I'm a progressive on this. And I said, lose the labels. We don't, we're Americans. It's American children that are dying in schools. But it's not only, it takes these mass shootings in Buffalo and in in texas and parkland when is enough enough but it's happening every day Stephen. if you look at the numbers in chicago the numbers in detroit are growing up the families the domestic abuse nobody by the way my bill on domestic abuse isn't on anybody's radar because it's too drastic i don't know why if someone's been convicted of a felony they shouldn't have access to a gun but that's but Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm You know, I'll flag it in a meeting, but I've said to Nancy, that's Mm -hmm. not going to keep me from not saying we shouldn't be moving the rest of this forward. But I think we need to think about it's a uniquely American problem, and we need to not go to our corners. And we need to keep people from going to the corners that they always go to, because we do have a system of government that does protect the minority.
1: And it does. Uh, and the instincts were to protect against tyrannical majorities right. right That's why they set aside certain kinds of mechanisms for, for unpopular minorities to, to take advantage of. I don't I have a hard time thinking though that they could have envisioned the, the kind of tyrannical mon- minority that we seemed to, to be dealing with in terms of the Republican Party on a lot of issues right uh, they don 't represent the majority in numbers or from uh, the standpoint of point of view and so uh, you know the frustration I we think need that to people be careful feel is... I agree with
4: you and i don 't know that they saw that there would be this but it is we have far let 's not just say far right there are t- tyrannical minorities yeah. in different issues. I don't even know how to say it because I don't want to put a label on anybody. Sure, I don't know that they envisioned what we see in this country today. But we got to find a way to pull ourselves together or, or, or this fear and hatred and division is going to be the end of the country as we know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about uh, inflation and price gouging. Those things are on your mind a lot as well. Uh, what can Congress be doing?
4: Congress is looking at a number of things. We're trying to ensure, you know, we've passed legislation in the House that would address price gouging on fuel prices. We're trying to, one of the, probably one of the biggest factors contributing to inflation has been the supply chain and the supply chain shortages. Um, I hope we're going to get this. the CHIPS bill, as I call it, but the competitiveness bill passed by the 4th of July. We'll see. We should have passed it a year ago. CHIPS is something that, semiconductor CHIPS, impacts our area greatly, and we need to bring that capacity um, back to this country. But we are trying to address many of the supply issues, which in the short term should make start to see the, the cost of goods going down, And by the way, you did see in this month's report some very early indications that some prices uh, may be going down, but we got to look at, we got to address the economy in a very wholesale way. And I think the president, I have a meeting at four o'clock today with the White House talking on things we're going to try to do Mm -hmm. next week. So we need to take it seriously, quite frankly, guns are awful. we need to be doing that, but the number one issue on people's minds is what is happening to them when they go to the grocery store and when they drive their car. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, how is the, the the campaign going in the new district? It hasn't really started off that that much yet, but uh, it is a different it's a different place to to try to represent. You represented a large part of the district already, but uh, talk well, about I the do. switch. I
4: represent about sixty percent of it and I'm trying very hard for the people in the new district the hardest part's moving yeah um, I hope I'm hopeful that I will you know I bought a kind of in January and it needed a lot of work like everybody <laughs> who's but I'm hoping to be completely moved by July moved a lot of things this weekend thanks to friends in between events I would load the car and take it over but I'm uh, really working very hard for the people in the new district the rest of Washington County and Plymouth, Plymouth Township, Novi, Novi Township, Canton, and uh, Novi. They've all been incredibly nice. They're nice. It's really been, and trying to go to as many things as I can do, do meet and greets, met with all the mayors, go to the city council meetings, go to the rotaries, the chambers, the town halls they have. Like Dexter has one every other Saturday, and I need people to get to know me, know who I am, and be accessible. It's farmer market time, yeah. so trying to figure out how I can do my, always, Ann Arbor farmer market and get to all the rest. So I'm out and about having people get to know me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Civility is another uh, issue that you have emphasized an awful lot. You had a partner in Congress, uh, from also from the state of Michigan, Fred Upton, uh, who's a Republican, and you have spent a lot of time talking about how you disagree on a lot of things, but but that you've... Go to working relationship, and that uh, when you do disagree, you can do it without antipathy or shouting or uh, a lot of these things that we see. Um, it's a theme up here as well at, at, at Mackinac. Um, when you lose Fred uh, from <laughs> from from Congress, if uh, you're reelected in the fall, uh, talk about how that how that changes uh, the way that you go about that issue and. I guess, is there another likely partner that you might find?
4: So, look, I'm going to miss Fred. He's done a lot of good for the state of Michigan, and Michigan's going to miss Fred. I want to start with that. And, you know, he really has been my friend, and we've worked on many things, and we're people that have brought people together. Um, And he's still my partner. He hasn't left yet. But, you know, I'm... um, I have many other friends on the Republican side, one of my um, g- good friends that I've worked with for a long time. People don't know I'm on both the Jerry Ford Library Board and the Gerald Ford School Library Board in a bipartisan way. Hank Myers is on both of those boards with me, and Peter Myers is a member from Grand Rapids, and he's a good friend, and I've made it very clear to everybody that his father has been my friend, and I've known Peter for a long time. Yeah. And he and I do things together. It'll be different. N- n- no relationship is <laughs> the same. And I have, you know, I mean, I'm going to make Republicans nuts that are listening on this, but I think Liz Cheney is one of the most, I've known her since she was a little girl. Not a little girl, high school, yeah. but young. Yeah. And uh, we're working on many bills together. And I got her on the Jerry Ford Library Board last year. And I have a lot of other Republican friends. I spend time on the Republican side, not just because Fred's leaving. I've done that since the day I walked in the House. John Dingell had a lot of friends that were Republicans. His ranking Republican members, Jim Borehill, used to say, everybody used to think my name was Dingell (laughs) Borehill. And um, uh, I think it's very important we work with each other, listen to each other. Look, I have friends in the Freedom Caucus. There are a couple people that I probably w- would not be able to. It makes me sad to say that to you, but they're not interested in listening. Sure. But I have others that I talk to regularly. You know, Louis Gomer, who people, when John died, went everywhere with me. He yeah. was came right to the cemetery and has gone to the cemetery to visit John's grave. And, you know, we're all different. We are all have our foibles and... But we've got to get to know each other. And if you well, know each this, other, you can build trust.
1: And there's this idea that John always fronted and that you have always fronted about decency. Correct. And not just treating other people decent decently, but but just generally that uh, the expectation of
2: decency,
4: every person is in some people think that's corny, but it's it, not corny. It, it's what it's we, we should
2: important.
4: do. We need to none of us don't think that, but it's the reality. And we all deserve and are worthy of respect and being treated with dignity and being listened to. And we each have different life experiences, perspectives that we can share and help other learn from. And together we're strong.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Debbie Dingle, it is always great to have you here on the program. It is really great to see you up here on Mackinac Island in person. Do you have any goals this week? uh,
4: it's just going to be good to renew relationships and meet some of the new people that have come on the scene during the pandemic
1: yeah that's right there a lot of a lot has happened while we were away correct okay well thanks for being here with us thank you all right that is going to do it for us today Come back tomorrow when we are going to talk with uh, Detroit Chamber CEO Sandy Barua. We'll talk with Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence and uh, Lejeune Montgomery-Tabor, who is the CEO of the Kellogg Foundation. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey, Nick Austin, and Lisa John Rogers. Our program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan, And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll be back tomorrow in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Until then, have a great day.